Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 358, recorded October 24th, 2023. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Brian Aiken. And this episode is brought to you by us. Check out our courses and thank you to the Patreon support as well. Link right at the top of the show notes. You can connect with us on Fostodon. Again, links are up there. And if you want to watch live, check us out at pythonbytes.fm slash live. Wonderful. So, Brian, you have a big, big time release to talk about. Want to tell the people? Yeah. So um, there's been a Django, Django beta, beta one released. So Django, sorry, Django 5.0 beta one. So uh, we are now, uh, we're now in the 5.0 world of Django. Um, So we're linking to the, to the basically announcement. But what, what I think is interesting is, um, oh, I didn't see the schedule. So let's take a look at the release schedule. Uh, looks like, um, so we've got the beta now, October 23. There should be a release candidate November 20th and the final by December. So by the end of the year, there'll be a final. Are you saying we're going to get Django 5 for Christmas? <laughs> Before, <laughs> to get ready for Christmas. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Honey, can you help me wrap presents? No, I got to play with Django 5. Um <laughs> So I'm pretty excited about this. It looks pretty cool. Cool. Let's look at some of the some some of what we got. There's a, a release notes uh, under development because it's still just the first beta. But um, there's some really cool stuff. One thing to note, I think we we may have uh, mentioned this before, but I can't remember that Django five only supports three ten eleven and twelve. So they're that's that's nuts. Last time we were talking about, oh, can't believe we're saying goodbye to three seven. Yeah. And they're like, you know what? That's we're going to the future, baby. Three ten and above. Well, you know, and I, I actually think this is decent because there's some fun stuff in three ten and above, and I haven't had any issues like upgrading any of the projects I'm working on. They've been maybe minor yeah. things. Um, so the the last the last few have been really easy upgrades, I think. Uh, but you know, other your mileage may vary. There's a a note about third party library support for older versions of Django. And mostly it's, you know, how to deal with uh, looking for warnings. So you should be, uh, if you don't support older, or if you're planning on not supporting new versions of Python or Django or whatever, you should put warnings in and then people can run with with warnings on with dash capital W um, and the D for deprecation. So to look for deprecated warnings. Um, and that's, that's really kind of a cool thing that a lot of, uh, most package maintainers do this. So that's pretty great. Okay, so what's new? Um, Facet filters in the admin. I have no idea what this is. (laughs) I don't know what this is, but it sounds neat. So that's cool. The thing that I really was pretty excited about was the simplified templates for form field rendering. So, uh, you know, when you're creating a form, um, there's a lot of ways to help you create forms. There's extra plugins like crispy forms and others, but um, uh, this looks great. So look, look, this is the before picture. This is the before form. Uh, There's a lot in that form. form. This is the after. It's just a few wow. lines of code. It's really great. So um, uh, for for those of you listening, of course, check out the show notes um, and you can link, you can see the link for where the release notes are. So just at like maybe three or four lines of code versus 20-ish. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's also kind of confusing. So this is just an email form uh, with email and password or sign-in form or something. So this is pretty cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's more excitement to come. Database computed default values. Uh, this is um, this is actually a pretty big deal, I think. Uh, this yeah, because things like uh, now for a timestamp, 
well, now on your computer or now on the server or now it's now uh, you've got one server running the database and and that um, so that'll be like a consistent time across everything. But there's yeah, a whole with the, go ahead. Sorry, with the, with a lot of these like that that default in the ORM that happens on it happens in Python, which means it happens on the web front end server along with all their times and latency. So there could be a little mismatch, but if your server or your database server is in a different time zone or something, it could be really out of whack. The mm. other is if you have it set up a default that um, goes into the schema instead of just in Python, yeah. if some other tool creates something, it will also take on those defaults, which is, I think, the bigger deal. Uh, okay, cool. Right, because yeah. if you use some database admin thing, you say insert this and this, but you're not doing it in Python, well... Yeah. Normally, database defaults would kick in, but not previously if it was just in Python, right? Yeah, and so if if you're using, right, especially if you're using uh, different tools also, uh, having database defaults is a, is a, is an awesome thing. But it's, plus, it saves, it's faster probably. I don't know. Seems like it might be faster. Um, <laughs> there's also database-generated model field. So you can have your database um, generate fields based on other fields and have that be done in the database. So that's pretty cool. Um, and there's they give they give some examples in here. Uh, and then uh, more options for declaring field choices. This hasn't been something I've run into, but um, apparently that's the current set. And we have new set. We can do things like integer fields and stuff, I think. Oh, also, there's like a, I don't know, there's a different API for this. And if it's been an issue, hopefully it's not an issue for you anymore. Uh, but anyway. And then a bunch of other minor features, but I'm sure there's been tons of uh, bug fixes and everything like that too. So this is pretty exciting. Yeah. It's um, pretty cool that that um that other one, those new types of fields. It looks like it supports string enumerations. Oh, okay. Which is pretty cool. Like if you go back down to that example there, um, I'm uh, declaring field choices. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like see how it says choices, metal dot choices. So yeah. you could have a uh, um a gold, silver, or bronze. Oh, right. Option. And those are the only three string values. Instead of it's just a string, it's like basically a string enumeration type thing, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Neat. Uh, while we're talking about Django, I want to um, go ahead and do it. This was going to be an extra, but I thought I'd go ahead and call out that uh, Django, the Django, there's a couple things. There's Django not, Django not space, which we covered uh, a few episodes ago, which is a place where you can kind of with with mentors learn about Django learn about how to help maintain Django maybe um this is uh this Django not space is now accepting applications for the next contributor mentorship cohort so and I think I saw today that it's the they're accepting applications through mid-November I think so um not that long though uh, so get on that and if you would like to do it and then there's also they're also doing a survey along with in in uh, in collaboration with JetBrains uh, and the nice. Django Software Foundation. So go ahead and if you're a Django person, fill out the survey. Be nice. And then when the, then we get results, we can maybe cover it on the episode also. So anyway. Yeah, that'd be great. <sighs> All right, this next item, Brian, is inspired by you. Okay. <laughs> okay. So last week we were talking about uh, Windows Terminal. We were talking about the Git Bash cmd thing for windows whatever the heck it's it's called the um the bash shell that comes with git when you install it on windows and i said hey why don't we just add that to the windows terminal and you're like wait the windows terminal <laughs> the windows terminal is of course something that windows 10 or above can get but you have you don't have it 
you have to go to the Windows Store and install it. It's pretty awesome. It comes with a bunch of different shells like Command Prompt, PowerShell, um, Windows Subsystem for Linux, Bash, or whatever you got installed down in the subsystem, I suppose. Um, pretty cool. It even has um, GPU acceleration for the text rendering, which is kind of cool. <laughs> you know, motivated by warp, right? Because they were they're programming like metal on the GPU for their their stuff. So I, you know, so are they here on the Windows one. But I wanted to talk about adding it because if you just go um, to the git bash command prompt command and try to take that and stick it into the Windows shell, it doesn't actually work. It you click show me the shell and all it does is launch command prompt in another window with the git bash. I'm like, huh, that's not doing it. So I found this article called Add Git Bash to Windows. And it has this real helpful message at the bottom here, Brian. It says, you're seeing this message because add or script blocking software is interfering with this page. Disable any add or script block. It's not interfering. It's blocking malware delivered over retargeting networks. So I'm helping them with their wording here. They can, they can correct that later. Um, anyway, you, it's a super simple way that just walks through setting it up. Basically, it shows you how to go and um, add a new profile. But most importantly, what the actual thing that is the the profile command that you need to add, which is not the same thing as you launch normally. Hmm. So you just add that. Okay. Pretty cool. Yeah. And it shows you how to even set the icon uh, if you wanted to have the right icon in the dropdown. And finally, you can even set it as the default. So if you just open Windows Terminal, it defaults to the bash from Git version. But then, of course, you get the dropdown. So like, here's what my Windows machine looks like after I set this up. You've got Windows PowerShell, Command Prompt, Azure Cloud Shell, PowerShell, which is different than Windows PowerShell. <laughs> it's the older one, like, apparently. The Developer Command Prompt for VS uh, Visual Studio 2022, um, PowerShell for the same thing, and the Bash one, which is pretty cool. Isn't that yeah. it? Yeah. So if people want to take and make their Windows shells better, here's one more option. And if you're on um, Mac, you can check out Warp as well, because we talked about that last time. And I have more to say about shells later. So what funny thing about happened between last week and this week, uh, my laptop died. Um, oh no. And did uh, you, you didn't try to do this and kill it. Did you? No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what but, happened to it? Uh, I think the fan was just freaking out or something. Oh, okay. And so, um, I grabbed a, uh, this was a work thing. So I got a new laptop and it came, uh, with windows 11 and this was already installed. So Okay. Neat. I yeah. don't. I don't know if it automatically does it, or if my IT department did it for me. Yeah, I don't know. It probably is already installed on Windows 11, but not Windows 10. I don't think. But uh, then when I loaded uh, Windows Bash or Git for Windows, it just mm. did this. Like on Windows 11, it just it installed it in the right place, and so I can. Oh, that's pretty cool. Right. It registered one of these profiles or something, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So that was excellent. Cool. Yeah. Neat. Excellent. I think you know if. If you're going to use one of these alternate shells on Windows, you might as well use this like nice front end container thing. And you know, the funny thing was, is I was, I was worried about, because most of our, I'm used to like worrying about operating system changes because of the compile dependencies and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, um, but we're doing all of our compiles in Docker images now. And it's like, oh, I don't actually have to care about that anymore. Uh, so that's nice. Hey, we're running Windows 7. Who cares? <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. I don't know if you can get Windows <laughs> Docker desktop to run on Windows 7, but, you know, I know that was a joke. You probably cannot, but <laughs> even if you can, you probably should not. All right. I think that's, yeah, that's the last, uh, that's the last I got to say about that. So if you're on Windows, and definitely check out the Windows Terminal which is uh, much, much nicer than command prompt and, you know, plug in your shells. And then we can talk more later some other time about like, oh, my posh, which I think I've talked about before. 
Well, I gotta get. I still want to get set up on that. So yeah. Oh, it's so much better. Yeah, it's so good. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> should we talk about testing a little bit? Um, yes. Sure. Do uh, it. So the, here's an article from Alex Jacobs, uh, mastering integration testing with Fast API, and I know it's focused on Fast API, but it's just kind of a really pretty good uh, walkthrough of of different types of testing for a website, um, or well, an API at least, and. That's and it's it's pretty great. So uh, first off, really quick description of what a integration testing is, um, and uh, it's I've I've had a hard time describing what integration testing is uh, to other people. So uh, kudos for them for, to Alex. So integration testing involves combining individual units of code and testing them as a group. Maybe kinda. Um, this type of testing aims to expose faults in interactions between integrated units. Yes, definitely. So basically, you get to decide how much of the uh, system you're going to put together, and um, and if there's things that you want don't want to include, that's kind of where this article comes in. It's um it's challenging to do this, especially with web applications. So he goes through a lot of common things that you'd want to do, which is great. So he has a a little a little test app, which um I think is pretty kind of kind of fun. I don't know if he includes the actual source code for the test app, but it's just the uh the 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 what the straight schema for the API um that he's he's posting. So uh it's kind of cool. Anyway, um talks about okay you're gonna have to um authenticate for almost all applications. So how do you how do you mock that so that you can get around testing with that? Um so mocking authentication talks about that testing the login page uh, also t- talks about uh, both testing. So one of the things that's kind of neat is he's using PyTest, but he talks about how to do this straight in one test and then also how to separate some of the mocking part into a fixture because that's how you'd want to do it if you have multiple tests. Um, and that's pretty cool. Um, so mocking th- authentication um, talks about uh, in, in the test client or in the test client here is, is his fixture. And then... Uh, uh directly in the tests so kind of goes through a lot of detail with the authentication part because it's the first time he's talking about mocking then also how about external apis so authentication is something you want to like uh, put some mocking around so you can test that thoroughly external apis definitely because you don't really want to be hitting that a lot and also you don't have control over what the external api is going to return so you want to have more control over this and so uh, a couple examples here of um Actually, it was kind of kind of really some pretty cool examples around mocking an external API and uh, utilizes uh, something I don't see very often is, um, oh, I don't know where it was. Oh, he, when he's creating a fixture for it, um, he's using indirect parameterization, which is um, it's kind of a cool advanced PyTest technique, but uh, he explains it fairly clear, clearly and it's, um, it's pretty nice. So, um, oh, here it is. Uh, new, anyway uh somewhere indirect indirect yeah i love seeing indirect because it's kind of a it, it took me a while to get my head around indirect but anyway so okay so mocking authentication uh mocking uh, an external api and then something else is uh you might want to mock the database um because you can possibly fill up your database with you could you can use a a, a temporary database or a small one but you might want to just mock it also um so talks about mocking uh mongodb client or mongodb database so anyway nice uh, nice discussion of testing a service uh specifically yeah. for fast api but i, I kind of think this applies to everything doesn't it yeah i think so so anyway makes me uh think of vcr pi yeah when you if you're fa- mocking out 
a call to external APIs, just record it, play it back. Like that one was good. We'll just do that. <laughs> and uh, on a lot of my integration tests, I just talk to MongoDB. That's <laughs> fine. So do you, do you set up uh, like an extra an extra database and just um, fill it no, in? Yeah, because so much of our stuff, so much of the stuff that I have is um, that the tests are addressing is like kind of static data. You know, it's like, oh, here's a list of podcasts or here's a list of courses. And it, it doesn't necessarily need to know. It doesn't need to depend on what those are. So, yeah. Anyway, yes, you have to rewind it. Uh, Tyler Asa, VCR Pi. Um, you don't have to, but there is a fee if you take it back without without rewinding. So, <laughs> yeah. Be kind, <laughs> rewind. Yeah, be kind. You got to have be a certain age to remember that. Remember <laughs> that? Like, you're like, oh, I got this new movie and I got to rewind it. They didn't rewind it. You're like, ah, oh, we're going to wait like two minutes to start watching this. Did, right? did you have one of those extra like fast? We had a, for a couple of years, we had a fast rewinder that you could just pop it in and it would just go. <laughs> and I don't know what fast is, but I remember it would make quite the noise. So maybe it was fast. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um Mojo Logic says Blockbuster uh, charges if you don't do it. That's true. Or your PRs don't get accepted if you don't rewind your tests. Either way. You know, let's talk about not getting accepted, though, because, oh, boy. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> this is so bad. So this was recommended to us from Pat Decker previously on the show. And it's an article essay by Reuven Lerner, who, like us, teaches Python and he teaches data science and stuff. And I will tell you the hardest part of our job is not writing courses, not coming up with courses. It's gaining awareness. It is so difficult to cut through all the noise. And even if you built something awesome for people to actually go, oh, maybe I'll pay attention to that for you know one minute to see if it is awesome. So we all have to try different ways. Some of us start podcasts, others of us <laughs> do different things. And Reuven said, hey, look, I'm just going to try to put in some meta, aka Facebook ads and see if I can get some interest from there, right? Plenty of people are um, over there. So he does, and pretty soon it turns out his ad count is canceled. <laughs> yeah. And he goes in there and says, you are banned for violating Facebook's policy on advertisement. He's like, I just don't know what I could have done wrong. Like, I'm, it's so benign. I'm trying to sell corporate training to software developers for the most popular language uh, by some standards in the world. I'm a reputable guy. I've been doing this for a while. It's not a shady business. No, banned. But there's a way to um, protest the ban. So he protests the ban and they said, no, you're definitely banned. In fact, let's see if I can find it. Um, bum, 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 bum. Somewhere, it should be more bold in here, shouldn't it? Anyway, it says somewhere you're banned for life. <laughs> not only are, is your ad account temporarily banned, you will never ever advertise on Facebook again. Okay. Why was that, Brian? <laughs> because he was they thought he was selling pandas and pythons. <laughs> actual pandas <laughs> and actual pythons. <laughs> so okay. So it's a misunderstanding, right? Here, <laughs> let me give you all a glimpse into how big tech works. There's a misunderstanding. They have all these economy of scales. They have so many automated systems that even when you protest, it doesn't go to a human or when it goes to a human, it goes to a human who has a insanely fractional understanding of what advertising is, or in, in examples that I've run into in the um, in the app store area. Uh, for like when I first launched the Talk Python training app for courses, it, it's been a week 
um, being declined at the Google Play Store because there's an app in the Google Play Store called Learn Python. That's its title, Learn Python. And mine is called Talk Python Courses or something along those lines in the Google Play Store. But in the description, it says, if you get this app, you can learn Python from the experts at Talk Python Training and so on, right? Yeah. Violated, you're trying to infringe upon the copyright of Learn Python. That app already exists, banned. <laughs> Excuse me? Like, so I wrote back, surely you must misunderstand. Um, I'm not trying to say the titles learn Python. It's, just, it's an act that one takes. One learns a subject and the subject happens to be Python. And so with our app, you can learn it. They're like banned, protest, banned. I'm like, what is going on here? And so finally I had to just change the subject. I said, okay, what if you were, were learning a guitar, you wanted to learn music. And so with our app, you can learn the guitar. They're like, Oh, I see the problem now. Yes, you're right. That's not the same thing as the title of Learn Guitar, the app. But it took a week back and forth. And this is exactly <laughs> the same situation. I'm like, your one job is to like compare apps and see if they violate. Like, you don't even understand the words that are in here, right? And, but where do you go? Like, I, I um, protested as high as I could. And they're like, nope, banned. I'm like, this, this doesn't even make any sense. And Reuven is in a... I would say slightly less bad because if you're banned from advertising, it's kind of like, well, I can't give this crummy company money and like to retarget. So it's not, it's not like you spent, you know, six months on an app and you can't sell it or uh, deliver it, but still it's the same situation. Like the, the worst part is he's just put his head in the sand and said jerks for a while and then came back like a year or two later and they have a data retention policy where they threw away all the data after 180 days. And so even though he has friends at Meta, they, nobody can help him because they threw away the data that would have proved he was selling Python courses, not Python animals. And so he's permanently banned. That's it. <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah, because they, they, they won't do it. And it was like a bot that banned him. It's really, really frustrating how some of these things work. Because like, uh, you know, an elementary school kid could go, yeah, I see those are not the same. <laughs> these people whose job it is to make that distinction don't it's crazy hmm. yeah yeah well i guess if i ever want to advertise on facebook i'm glad that there isn't an animal named pie test um oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh well and that you have a rocket not some kind of animal um david out there points out it's surprisingly crushing to have your app rejected it really is because you work for months on it and then you think oh, it's ready to launch and then it's just like nope there's absolutely no path forward to even delivering it it's not like a website you just put on and people can like it or not. Yeah. But I mean, also, I mean, Reuven, it is his life. Cutting off an yeah, adver yeah, yeah. advertising yeah. channel is is pretty big deal. Um, it is a pretty big deal. So that's it, it, I, I think, you know, the more, the reason I brought this up is I think it shines a light onto just like big tech in general and how kind of it strips the humanity out of a lot of these situations. And the person is just, nope. Well, you know, bot says no, go away. Also, a lot of these, huge services and huge companies that like they're making tons of money and there's not really a way to talk to somebody uh about it um yeah think how important your your gmail is at which connects to your google docs and everything else and your photos what if something goes wrong with your personal gmail there's no one to talk to there's, yeah there's no recourse right it's just well all of your tax documents or whatever you happen to store wherever are good luck with that yeah. Or, I mean, PayPal has been notorious about this too, of just like holding funds. Just, yeah. Yeah. We're like, we're just holding it for 30 days. I, but I need it to like do, nope, 
there's no there's nobody to talk to but yeah uh, yeah bummer sorry uh, Reuven. sorry yeah. <laughs> well extras uh, extras, got any extras? <laughs> um i got a couple um do you do you want to do yours or yeah sure i got my uh yeah sure mine i almost made this an extra 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 episode because hear all about it because there's a lot of extras but I'll, I'll, I'll go quickly so first of all i have spoken about mcfly which is an awesome new ui for sta- like pretty much all the shells on mac os i believe it's restricted to mac os like it seems like a lot of these things are but i love that and so um nick suggested that i check out atuin a-t-u-i-n making your shell magical with sync, uh, search, and backup of your shell history with end-to-end encryption even. So hmm. very, very cool. It's got a really nice UI with like a pop-up that lets you you know, search and navigate. Um, it'll let you search through uh, like global, you know, all of the history or contextual-based ones. Like what have I done in this directory before? Isn't that cool? And oh, that it even is, stores whether the thing succeeded or not. So super, super cool. People can check this out. I believe it is uh, pretty cross-platform. I don't think it's, yeah, it's written Rust. I think it works at least um, probably on Mac and Linux. This is actually created by Ellie Huxtable. So very nice job, Ellie. And uh, props nice. to her. 701 Husqvarna, cool picture of her out riding somewhere. So anyway, yeah, if, if that sounds interesting, check Atuin or however you say it out. Pretty neat. Nice. Uh, let's see. JupyterCon 2023 had a ton of great talks. There's 86 videos with a surprisingly only 2,400 views across all 86 videos, but we're trying to change that. People should check it out. So all those sessions from JupyterCon 2023 are out and I'll link to those. And there's many things like, look at that second one there. Shelly has a Jupyter Hub PyTest plugin. Nice. Cool, cool. right? Nice. Yeah. yeah. Neat. And then I'm going to make sure I give credit for this one. Himu sent in something. This is all, this is the, the episode on shells. So sent in a thing about, hey, I talked about warp, right? Um, where warp is really awesome because it lets you treat what you type as a, as an editor. So like, I could type something, then double click part of it. It'll select it. I could just start typing. I could use my mouse, all sorts of things. So, you know, you can do kind of, sort of, a little bit, half of that um, with Z, Z Shell and Bash. So if you set it up right, you can basically get, you already mentioned this, Brian, the Vim key bindings, but you can also set up like Emacs key bindings, I believe, as well, on and send over technically directions for this. But I don't know, man. When I look at these things, they're just... So um, the man pages and stuff, I don't, they bounce off my brain. Like I just, I look at this, I'm like, just an example. Anyone, example, anyone, anywhere in here? Like, could you just give me an example of what I need to do to make this work? But no, it's just like this parameter affects it in this way. I'm like, great, but what is the one thing I need to just so I get the, you know, anyway. Uh, yeah. And uh, did you know that Z Shell is hosted on SourceForge? Of, ooh, okay. Makes me a little less happy to use Z Shell, honestly. Just from a... Or not, it's a... Uh... It's been around a while and there's no churn in it. Um, so. Yeah, I know. That's true. It's the default Mac. It's probably sufficiently safe. But yeah, anyway, those, um, thank you, Timo, for sending those in. People can check them out if they don't want to deviate from where they are. All right, carrying on. It was a rough weekend, Brian. Okay. Let me tell you, it was a rough weekend. Um, no, it, it kind of was. Like, I had a little bit of a cold, then I got both the COVID vaccine and the flu vaccine all at once. And so then I was like three times sick. 
But it was also rough in the sense that a really cool feature for the rough formatter came out, aka rough black, which okay. is um, cool. So that was a I think some um, major version was released. Skylar, who originally told us about this, sent in a message like, hey, there's kind of a, a major release. And the one thing that was holding me back from using it was, um, I was I talked to Charlie Marsh and he said, hey, we're already working on this. But I'm like, hey, I much prefer using a single quote instead of double quotes. It's like, uh, help us understand why. So one of the main reasons is like, I have RSI stuff that I got to be careful about. I'm fine as long as I'm careful, but if I'm not, then I'm not. Yeah. So, for example, if I wanted to type the letter A as a character, if I use double quotes, it's five keystrokes. If I use single quotes, it's three keystrokes, right? And it's also, um, you know, yeah. fewer hands in action, just like less wear and tear. So I'm like, really don't want to switch to double quotes like Black does. So for uh, rough formatter added um, somewhere, and maybe I don't have it here. I have it in the show notes. You have you just say uh, format dot quote style equals single. And then instead of going to double quotes, it goes to single quotes. But it also has some exceptions for like doc strings and things like that. So hmm. pretty cool. So the other sense in which it was a rough weekend is I blasted um, all the the podcast websites and the trading website with rough dash uh, rough format and formatted like 600 Python files with it. And it took it like a champ. Hmm. And just like rough itself, it's so fast. You go format these 600 files or these I guess one project, probably the biggest one had 350. Format these 350 Python pro files. It done. It, did it work? What did it do? And it, it literally just it goes straight away. It's awesome. Nice. Yeah, it's super, it's super fast. Yeah, super fast. And okay. So um, Glyph says, hey, thanks for the quick Mac hotkey shout out last week. And more importantly, my video for that whole talk, which featured that, but like six or seven other cool things that you should check out is now online. So I'll link it to the video form there. Nice. That was a good one. All right. That's it. Other than a joke, what are your extras? Okay. Well, I got a couple. Um, Ned Batchelder uh, wrote a post, said, where did everybody go? Um, so basically kind of, you know, post Twitter, where are people? And the, and you know, we've covered this before. Um, I'm, I, I've tried new things lately. Um, one of the things he talks about is a uh, blue sky and I've tried that. I, I would, I'm not going to try threads because it's because of where it comes from, but um, I tried blue sky and it's just seems to be empty to me. Uh, there's it's slowly gaining traction, but one of the things that I, why I bring this up is one of the commenters said, Oh, by the way, remember that cert text search now works on Mastodon. And I kind of didn't know about that. So I wanted to make yeah. sure that people knew that. Um, and we could pl play with it here. Oh, and I also wanted to show off a picture of my cats. So this is, this was my <laughs> um, bad cat yesterday getting into things, but so if you go up and just do search, we can uh, we can just search for stuff now, and it and it doesn't. It's more than just the people you follow, so that's pretty nice. Yeah, that originally yeah. was um, protect people that might go use the search to find people or groups they want to like jump on and start yelling at. So yeah. if you can't search for them, you can't find them, you can't be mean to them. But it really did take away from like I just who is talking about this thing? I have no way of knowing, right? Yeah, and so I. Probably positive. It's certainly useful. Yeah, it's useful. It's useful for me to have search. Um, and hey, look at that. Um, PyCharm and JetBrains are doing a webinar about testing on November 21st. That, that's cool. I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, so, um, and the other thing I wanted to bring up is I released, I'm still working on the, the complete PyTest course, which is not quite complete yet. Um, but chapter nine was released uh, 
last week on uh, over the weekend and chapter nine covered uh covered coverage and uh my my use of uh coverage has changed over the past year or so so um i kind of reflect that the video is a well way updated version of how i use coverage than when i wrote the book so that's nice awesome those are my extras Congrats. glad you're making progress there that's excellent thanks before we get to the joke um two things two comments from blaze I used to work at the Google Apps team when it was started. The goal was to have zero personal interaction, which I can understand that, but it sure leaves you in a lurch when the automation doesn't treat you well, right? And a Tuin user for the past year, pretty cool. Like me, no idea how to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy says, Python REPL also uses uh, Reline, so anything Bash Editing can do too. So now I have Vim in my Python REPL, which is kind of cool. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right, ready for a joke? Yeah. Do it. Let's do it. All right. So this one is visual, but just imagine a normal uh, a normal distribution, okay? And the height is representing code complexity. Uh, can I open this? Yes. And the X, what would be the X axis is representing years or time of programming, okay? So right in the beginning, when you're brand new, you write super simple code, right? I'm just getting started. I got some for loops, a function maybe. And then as you get a little experience, it goes up in complexity. It got object-oriented programming everywhere. A little farther, design patterns, baby. At the peak of the normal distribution, you've got abstract interfaces. I might need this later. And this is what the experts do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but as time goes on, you go right back down that slope. After like 10 years of programming, you're back to like super simple code. Which honestly, this really connects with me as kind of a, a lesson. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I had um, a couple of years ago, I had uh, some people at the company ask me to to develop a template that people could use to write their test code. So I had a test with one function in it called def test underscore. And it said assert true. That was it. I'm like, OK, <laughs> here's your template. Uh, you don't really need much. <laughs> so, yeah, And also the OOP everywhere. I mean, I remember doing tons of classes now, even with my C++ code. I try to avoid as many uh, classes as I can. Uh, yeah. Because it just gets in the way. This totally looks like my life. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, mine too. I think classes are fine, but like deep object hierarchies and trying to make object hierarchies define the whole world is a, a pretty bad adventure. Although the worst I do think is that I might need this later. So let's build an abstraction around this concept rather yeah. than I'll just refactor it if I actually do. Yeah. And Pat, hey, Pat is out in the audience, says less is more. Thank you indeed, Pat. I'm a big fan of the term Yagony that came up with uh, extreme programming. You ain't going to need it. You ain't going to need it. So <laughs> and awesome. Kiss. Keep it simple. Something stupid. <laughs> Indeed. Anyway. Well, thanks. All right. Uh, and, yeah. And I'll try to put this picture as the, the chapter art for oh, this yeah. chapter. Let's so do glance down at your podcast player and you might see it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Even works in CarPlay. I don't know about Android Auto. I haven't both listened to CarPlay. One of our one of our episodes on Android with Android Auto turned on, but I know it works for, for uh, iOS. Okay. Don't look yeah, at your so. phone when you're driving, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's true. All right. All right. See you later, Brian. Thank Bye. you, everyone. Bye.